Christ Community Church is called by the God of all grace. For the transforming of life in Middle Tennessee. Spiritually, socially, and culturally. Through the power of the gospel. From Franklin to the nations of the world. All for the glory of God. For more information, visit ChristCommunity.org. If you're new with us uh, in this gathering, we are in a series called After Easter, and we're wrapping that up with this message in Acts 1 and 2 as we come to celebrate the culmination of that period of Jesus' ministry after the resurrection to his disciples that resulted in his ascension, which we looked at last week, and his enthronement at the right hand of the Father, and the consequence of that, his pouring out of the Holy Spirit, which we mark today on the day of Pentecost. We rightly as believers mark the humiliation of Christ, his incarnation, his suffering and death and burial on our behalf, but it's also important that we mark his exaltation. And we do that, of course, by celebrating his resurrection, but so often we stop there. That's been the object of uh, this series is to make sure we don't stop there. But the resurrection of Jesus, his ascension, and his enthronement at the Father's right hand. Jesus, just before that ascension, we read these verses last week, we read them again today, is giving instructions to his disciples. And he says, I want you to wait for the promise of the Father. He says to his disciples just before his ascension, you are going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And this is the promise of the Father. What is going on with Pentecost? What is happening in this great effusion of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit given by Jesus to his church? What's happening in that? Well, I want you to note a little word that's easy to miss in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. This is Luke, and he's saying that in his gospel, he talked about everything that Jesus had begun to do. The book of Acts is volume 2 of Luke's two-volume account of the ancient Jesus movement, what happens after the ascension, the book of Acts tells us what Jesus continued to do through the apostles and these ancient Christian men and women as they, in the power of the Holy Spirit, bore witness to the resurrection of Jesus, to his ascension, to his enthronement at the Father's right hand. The book of Acts is what Jesus continued to do. And what we read about on the day of Pentecost is the very first thing he did to begin this great mission in the world. What's happening here on the day of Pentecost? Two things. There is his pouring out of the Holy Spirit to baptize the church with the Holy Spirit. That's number one. And number two, the inauguration of his mission in all of the world that will take place through that spirit-baptized community. Look at it again in verse 4 of Acts chapter 1. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard of from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. So Jesus is giving them a word of promise, a prophetic word, and he's, he's rooting this in what he calls the promise of the Father and the prophetic ministry of John the Baptist, and he's saying not many days from now, this is going to actually be fulfilled. And so that fulfillment happens in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. All these disciples are all together in one place. And suddenly, from heaven, there came the sound, something like a rushing, mighty wind. It filled the house where they were gathered. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. 
That filling of these people with the Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of what Jesus had said to them about being baptized with the Holy Spirit, about receiving power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them to make of them witnesses. In his sermon that Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost, he says, we are witnesses of these things. And that word witness is critical to this whole issue. Now, witness was then and remains to this day a legal term. It's courtroom language. When you hear the word witnessing, you may think of some kind of awkward evangelistic effort going out on a street corner and passing out pamphlets or something like that. But there's nothing wrong with, with any of that, of course. But, but the word witness in this context, then as it is now, is, a, is courtroom language. Somebody is called as a witness in a trial. Someone's been charged and their vindication or their condemnation is rooted in the testimony of the witnesses. Now, Jesus was at times in the Gospels accused of being false as a teacher, of being somebody who was in fact energized by and motivated by dark powers. When he was accused, he would call witnesses. You can read about this, for instance, in John chapter 5. Jesus says, here are my witnesses. I want you to listen to the witnesses that Jesus would call. Now, again, just to set a little context for this, it wasn't like a jury sitting over here listening to the testimony of the witnesses and a judge and there's a jury. It wasn't operating in the kind of system that we have today in, in uh, American jurisprudence. The, the, the way it worked was the witnesses were themselves the evidence. I want you to get that. The witnesses are the evidence. That's why facts had to be confirmed in, in Israelite law by two or more witnesses, because there has to be a preponderance of evidence. The witnesses are the evidence. And the judge would make a decision based on those witnesses. And whoever had the best witnesses, the best evidence, that's the direction that the decision went. So Jesus says, you are going to be my witnesses. But in John chapter 5, listen to this. In John chapter 5, when he's accused of being a, a, a false teacher, of leading people astray, he says, well, I have, I have witnesses. First of, all, first of all, I have John the Baptist. He bore witness to me. Uh, secondly, my Father in heaven, he has borne witness concerning me. When the Father spoke at Jesus' baptism, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. So I have John the Baptist, I have the Father, and then he says, and then he says, and the scriptures, you search the scriptures because you think uh, that in them you have life, but it is these that bear witness of me. So I have John the Baptist, I have my father, I have the scriptures, and then he says, and in my miracles. You've seen the miracles. So listen to Jesus' witnesses. I have the father, I have John the Baptist, I have the scriptures, and I have miracles. These are my witnesses. Well, who do you think won that case? Well, Jesus won the day. But here's the astonishing thing. He takes you and me... And he adds us to the list. Jesus says, my vindication in the world, my being seen to be the Messiah, the Savior in the world, my being known as resurrected from the dead and at the right hand of the Father depends on witnesses. And here are my witnesses, the scriptures, the miracles, John the Baptist, my Father, and you. You. My vindication in the world is now going to rest with you. Can you imagine Jesus saying to you, my cause in the world is going to be known through you. Now, of course, if Jesus said that to you, I know if he said it to me, I'd just crumble into a heap. Lord, you cannot possibly think that somehow weak weak person like myself is ever going to be able to adequately join in with the Father and John the Baptist and the Scripture and miracles. You can't possibly put me in the same list of witnesses. But that's just what Jesus did. But my friends, that is why he said, don't leave home without this. 
You can't be my witnesses until, again using Luke's language from his gospel, you are clothed with power from on high. You cannot do this in your own strength. You have to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't do this in your might, your power, your strength. This is not something that you have in yourself. This is something that you will have to depend on me in you to do. I will not leave you alone, Jesus says. I will send you the Holy Spirit. And that's what he does. This is how it's described here in Acts chapter 2. If you look over there in, uh, in, verse, in verse 36 of chapter 2, it says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you've crucified. How do they know it? How do you know for certain? He says in verse 33, Because Christ is exalted to the right hand of God, and received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this which you are seeing and hearing. And then he ties it to the ascension. David didn't ascend, but Jesus ascended, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And because he's seated at the right hand of the Father, he has poured out the Holy Spirit. Now Jesus is saying that fulfills John the Baptist's prophecy about him, that he would baptize with the Holy Spirit. You can read about that in Matthew and Mark and Luke and in John. When John the Baptist introduced Jesus to the world, he said two things about him. There's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's number one. And number two, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Think of all the things that John the Baptist could have said about Jesus. He's going to heal your sick. He's going to raise the dead. He's going to feed multitudes. But he said two things. Take away sins baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus fulfilled the first part of that prophetic word, taking away sins through his death and burial and resurrection. But he fulfills the second part of John the Baptist's prophecy about him, that he would baptize with the Holy Spirit when he ascends to the Father's right hand and he pours out the Holy Spirit. Baptism with the Holy Spirit is an historical event It happened 2,000 years ago. It is just like the crucifixion. It is just like the burial. It is just like the resurrection of Jesus. Those are events which cannot be repeated. Pentecost cannot be repeated. What happened is Christ descended on high and he poured his Holy Spirit out on the church once and for all. But While it cannot be historically repeated, it must also be personally appropriated. You can't crucify Jesus again for your sins. You believe that he was crucified once and for all for your sins, and you put your faith in him, and you trust that what happened over there is now something that is your inheritance. Christ, when he ascended on high and sat down at the right hand of the Father, He said, Holy Spirit, it's time for you to go. The Father had sent the Son, and the Son did his work, and the Son returns and sits down at his right hand. And then the Son says to the Spirit, it's time for you to go. And he pours out the Spirit. He baptizes the church with the Holy Spirit. There's only 120 people there on the day of Pentecost, 120 of them. But the 120 have become millions upon millions upon millions. How? Through the powerful agency of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the executive agent of the Holy Trinity. He takes what the Father planned in eternity and Jesus accomplished in history and he makes it existentially yours, experientially yours right now. He takes what was in eternity and in history and he brings it to us now so that personally we each and every one of us enter into the good of what Christ did when he baptized the church with the Holy Spirit, so that you and I receive the Holy Spirit. And you and I can be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you and I can engage with him in his mission. So baptism with the Holy Spirit 
is what Christ has done from the right hand of the Father in sending the Holy Spirit to the church so that we can be his witnesses. And this means that he has inaugurated his mission in the world. And you and I, as believers, are part of that mission. When you read about the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, you will find a table of nations in Acts chapter 2. What do I mean by a table of nations? Well, you read about all of the people gathered in Jerusalem for this great feast, this great festival of Pentecost. They were people who had come from all over the world. It says that they were Parthians and Medes and Elamites and Mesopotamians and Cappadocians and people from Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and Libya and so on. And they're all there. And as these disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit, they began speaking languages that they've never learned. These are real human languages. And they are by these languages, which they've never learned, miraculously speaking the mighty deeds of God to these people from other nations. When God pours out the Holy Spirit, he is not giving you the Holy Spirit simply so you can have an exciting personal experience. He is giving you the Holy Spirit so he can engage you in the proclamation of his saving love to all nations so that his mercy and the word of his cross is heard miraculously through you in all of the world. And so Peter then stands up and he begins to tell all of these people why they are encountering these phenomena. There was a rushing wind that sounded like a hurricane. There were fire, tongues of fire resting on the heads of each of these 120 people, and they're speaking these languages they've never learned. What does all of this mean? And Peter says, I'm going to tell you what this means, because some people said, well, these guys are just drunk. And Peter said, well, well we're not drunk. It's only, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. And, uh, and he says, so we're not drunk. He says, I'm, this, is, this is something that Joel talked about. Joel said that God was going to pour out his spirit. And this pouring out of the Spirit is the promise of the Father. Let me put it to you this way. I don't have time to go into a whole Old Testament theology of the Holy Spirit, but you can't open the Bible without running head on into the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, but the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Holy Spirit was the atmosphere in which the Word came and turned chaos into cosmos. That's what's happening. When, when the Holy Spirit gets involved and joins with the Word of God, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God turn chaos into cosmos. And, the, and God kept sending His Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, but to isolated individuals, to a king, to a priest, to a prophet. But Joel said there's a day coming when God's going to pour out His Holy Spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters, your young, your old. What does that mean? It means every single last one of us, no matter how old, no matter how young, no matter what our gender is, if you are a believer in Jesus, you are to be filled with the Holy Spirit and engaged in this mission. And this means that what Jesus is doing in the world, his kingdom, is a cosmopolitan multi-ethnic international community that does not have the boundaries our culture continually wants to put on people those don't exist in the kingdom anymore he makes of us one new humanity in the holy spirit our our culture is filled with racial hatred and violence. There is no room for nationalism and racism and ethnocentrism, for white supremacy or any other kind of ism, tribalism that separates people out and says that one group is superior to another. If you think that, you have not wrestled enough with the reality of the need of the cross for all people. If you think your race is better than another race, 
You have not understood the depth of the need of every tribe and tongue and people and nation under heaven to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And if you stand by in a world filled with racial hatred and you don't step into it with the gospel of peace and grace, which comes to all people, you haven't understood what has happened at Pentecost. Because at Pentecost, God created through the Holy Spirit a whole new kind of community without walls, without the boundaries. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your, your, your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. I have dreams, maybe you have visions, eh? But listen, friends, your children don't have Holy Spirit Junior. Your children have the Spirit. Your covenant children have the Spirit. If you're a believer in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. And Paul will say to you, be filled with the Holy Spirit, because that's the only way we can be witnesses. That's the only way we can live the life that we're called to live. What happened at Pentecost? Jesus baptized his church with the Spirit. Jesus inaugurated his world-saving mission through that Spirit-baptized church. And my friends, you and I are part of that today. Now, that mission goes forward. But the same sense of humbling that happened to these brothers and sisters should happen to us. What do you mean, Lord? How can we be your witnesses? How can we be part of the same team with John the Baptist and the, and the Father and the Scriptures? And how can we be miracles? But my friend, your life is a miracle. Your life is testifying. You are a witness through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so something down inside of you should make you fall on your knees and say, oh God, I can't sing, I can't write, I can't preach, I can't do my art, I can't do my industry, I can't lead this family, I can't bear witness unless you fill me with the Holy Spirit. And being filled with the Holy Spirit is an every single day personal appropriation of what God did in Jesus 2,000 years ago. Every day, you can get up and enter into the power of Pentecost, of Christ at the right hand of the Father, breathing out a mighty rushing wind. And that mighty rushing wind fills your soul. And you're able to, to say, yes, Lord, help me to bear witness to you. I am weak, but you are mighty. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill me that I might be your witness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, ascended to the right hand of the Father, reigning over the cosmos, by your Spirit, turning the chaos of our lives into the order of new creation. You who have conquered death in the grave, you who will come again, we cry out to you. And on this day, take these empty, humbled vessels who are astonished at the thought that you would call us witnesses, you would call on us to bear witness to you. When people doubt your veracity, when people doubt your power and your grace, you call on us to bear witness? How can we, Lord? Unless you today clothe us with power from on high. Fill each one of us listening here with your Holy Spirit so that we might be your witnesses in the world. And Lord Jesus, further the boundaries of your kingdom and destroy every man-made prideful boundary that exists between us. And we pray this in your matchless and mighty name, O King of Kings.
and Lord of Lords. Amen and amen.
if you have any questions or if this strikes up anything in you that you would like to follow up on, please reach out to me. My name, my email is charles.johnson at christcommunity.org. Um, and uh, I might not be able to help you, but I can put you in touch with one of these three or somebody else who might be able to help you as well. So please don't be shy um, and uh, feel the virtual hug uh, that I'm giving right now. So thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Teresa, for being a part of this. You, each of you are truly a blessing to our church, and I'm grateful to co-labor with you. So, I hope you all have a good night. Thank you. Love you all. Good night.